You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. We do have a treat today because we have amazing friends here all the way from Houston, Texas. Um, by way of Placerville, uh, by way of Walnut, uh, and then uh, you guys will tell us the history after that. Um, but we are so thankful to have Steve and Terry Barr here. Um, so before they stand and I invite them up, I'll, I'll, Steve and Terry Barr um, are on the NCMI Apostolic team that we partner with as a church. And um, so we do um, view them and, and value them as a gift um, to us as a church. They have been serving on that team for quite some time, nearly 20 years now. Um, they had led Placerville uh, or Westside Church in Placerville, um, California for uh, over 20 years. Um, and we have been partnership with that church and um, it's led by uh, Joe and Emily Moore now. And so we are enjoying that partnership with them. And so they have been a blessing to our church since our inception um, back in 2010. And uh, we, we count them um, not just as partners and not just as a gift. They are dear friends who um, speak into not only the life of our church, but into Vanessa's and my personal life and the life of our family. Uh, we, we count them as, as true gifts to us. And so I wanted to say all that before they came up here. They are officially full-time translocal ministers. Um, and so they are not leading a church. They are based in their son's Brian's church um, there in Houston called One Life that is doing so awesome out there. And um, and so they get to be with their family as they minister translocally. And so uh, we are glad that we get to be um, one of those uh, places of sowing. So Steve and Terry, come on up. Uh, why don't you guys give them some big love this morning? Yeah. So I would love for... Um, Terry to say hi, and then uh, I think Steve's all mic'd up, and then we will unleash. Thank least... you, Jody. Thank you. Good morning. It's wonderful to be here at Restoration LA and to see some friends and meet new friends. And uh, Jody and Vanessa have been um, just uh, dear friends of ours, and it's been great to be able to spend some good quality time with them over the last uh, couple days. And uh, I'll tell you what, I want you to know that. Jody and Vanessa love you. They have such a love for God, first of all, and they have a love for you, Restoration LA. And so, uh, oh, <laughs> he's whispering to me. <laughs> yeah. So, they love you. This is a safe place. We love Restoration LA, and, um, and we just see great things ahead for you. Um, when we moved to Texas, we moved into a neighborhood and we said, God, we want to make a difference in our neighborhood. And, um, we soon met our next door neighbor and, um, uh, she was a believer. He was not. And then after a while we started leading a community group, which is like a home group in our home and invited them and they said yes. And they came and, you know, sometimes you invite people, you're like, wow, you know, they're not going to say yes, but we'll stick our neck out here. And they came and he ended up getting saved radically. And it's amazing, amazing, amazing. Um, and so God is still in the business of restoring, right? 
And uh, last month we were up at uh, Westside, and uh, God gave me just such a clear word, and I think that it's appropriate to share this with you as well. And that word is that God is softening hearts that we believed were hard, and we have given up. And we just said they're never going to listen. God is softening hearts that we believe were hard. And he's opening doors that we believe were closed tightly. And so try again. Um, this neighbor of ours, uh, it was the Holy Spirit that drew him. So we don't save anybody. No one comes to the Lord except for the Holy Spirit softening and drawing and revealing himself to them. And all we are are these, this tool in God's hands that just at the right moment say the right word and then they say yes. And so I want to encourage you that God is still restoring. He's still saving. He's still healing. And so step out and um, take a chance and uh and and bring people in so um we love you um what okay um <laughs> so another word that god gave me is, um a while ago remember in afghanistan you know our our exit from afghanistan and everybody's like ah what get these people out, these people out of danger, get these Americans out that, you know, that need to be, um, exited from Afghanistan. And just that picture of, of the, these huge planes with people just crammed in them, just leaving and, and you know, and it's like, get more, get more, get more. And uh, don't leave anybody behind. And, uh, I was just like really, um, just grieving during that period and just begging God, <laughs> you know, um, bring safety, bring wholeness, protect the Christians there. And, um, and God said, do you have that same passion for the lost in your area? And those that, you know, do you have that same passion of one more, one more, get one more on. And are we, um, so, um, you know, grieved about people that are lost and dying and going to hell, um, you know, that we want one more, one more, one more. So, um, so let's not give up. Let's not give up. Bring in the lost, um, open our mouths, tell them our story. And, uh, we want to see more and more and more come into the kingdom. Um, and then just one more word. Uh, when I came in this morning, I just felt like God, um, wanted to, uh, uh, break off, um, this morning, um, regret and shame. And Jody dealt with that. It had a word of that, but God paid for that. He paid for that shame. He paid for that regret. And here we are holding on to that and it's already paid for. And we want to pay for it again. And he said, I've done it. So, um, regret, and shame. Don't let that hold you back anymore. Just say, okay, I'm walking away from that. I'm laying that down. And I'm going to walk in all the freedom that God has for me. Good job. Thanks. Good morning, everybody. It's, it's great to be here again at RLA. What's, what's the, is that the, is that the, the shortest that you say RLA? You don't say like rest or restoration or something or like this. 
So I want to say a special hello to all of you guys online. And so I want you to sit up. I want you to put the phone down, unless it's your phone that you're watching on. I want you to get your Bibles out, and I want you to follow along, because today uh, Jesus is going to speak to us. Uh, but we're praying that you guys get better, those of you that are home, uh, quarantined, and so forth, and that there won't be a serious illness. And if anybody is popping in from around the world, just checking out uh, our LA, uh, welcome. Glad you're here. The time zone is uh, Pacific time, and uh, it's uh, 10.43 a.m. on a Sunday. And so um, I just want to say thanks to Jody and Vanessa and, and, and RLA here and, and the leadership team. We did meet with the leaders yesterday, the, the deacons and elders. And uh, you guys, I don't know if you realize the impact that this church has around the world. First of all, you have something here that is special. It's, it's health. This church is healthy. Are, are there human beings here? Yeah, we have problems. Yeah. But we are committed to working through them in a God-honoring way. And so this church has a reputation for making an impact in the community. Uh, and, you, and you guys are releasing. You're healthy enough to release uh, Jody and Vanessa to travel around the world and minister and that is this church sowing into the nations. Now, we all, we all don't go, but Paul says in Romans 12 about the body of Christ that each of you is part of it. Each of you is part of it. And so we're doing this thing together. So many times, uh, Jody and Vanessa came up to uh, Westside in Placerville, ministered there. I know they just went when we're not there anymore and uh, came back with great reports. But I just want to say thank you for releasing them. I want to say thank you to the eldership uh, team here at RLA and appreciate you guys and uh, and staying tight, staying a healthy team and working through stuff. You, you don't want everybody on your eldership team to be the same. No coach wants nine pitchers. You know, they want a first baseman and a catcher and a, some fielders and, and they, they want a team of different giftings to work together. And so that's the, that's the challenge is getting different minded people to work together, different gifted people to work together, but like-minded in Christ, okay? So thanks so much. Uh, we appreciate their ministry around the world. I'm going to, uh, how many of you are tired of controversy and, and division? Anybody here? I am too. So I'm going to, I can't solve all the world's problems, but I'm going to solve one right now. I, there's, there's something that's been creeping in uh, and, and has been dividing people and people are, are, have strong opinions about it. And I just want to put all that to rest right now. You can put that picture up. Uh, this is the patent from 1891. The toilet paper goes on the outside, all right? That's the science. That's the patent behind it. I just want to put all that controversy to rest, all right? All right. <laughs> All right. How many didn't? How many didn't know there was a controversy? <laughs> how many are still going to go under no matter what I say? <laughs> she does right here. <laughs> okay, so it's kind of silly. Uh, so I do have a weird sense of humor. So if I say something, you go what like that? Just try to find the joke in there somewhere. So. Uh, it is a privilege. Lord, bless us this morning. I pray that your ears would respond to what the Word of God says, to what He says uh, through the preaching, and that you won't go home the same way you came. Uh, our goal is not to go home the same way we came. We want to go home a little more like Jesus, a little more mature, 
Uh, most of us, that is our, that's what's going to happen today. I pray that several, a handful of you today, there'll be a pivotal mo- a moment in your life. And you'll go home radically different. And not just a little more mature and a little more loving Jesus like we should do. It's, you know, it's constantly, we're doing that, growing, 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 growing. Little by little, they took the land, it says about the, the children of Israel. Uh, but some of you are going to make some key decisions this morning. And some of you online watching, I pray that you would uh, uh, be able to hear the voice of God as well. So, uh, have you ever gotten weary serving Jesus? Have you ever got just weary with life? Uh, the Bible says this, if you get tired running with the foot soldiers, how are you going to run with the horses? And I feel that the church, not just this church, but the church, all believers who love Jesus, uh, we're coming up to a, a turning point in history where, where more is going to be required of us. Maybe the cost will be higher. And that's what I personally feel. And so... Uh, prophetically, a lot of people are thinking, could this be the beginning of birth pangs and, you know, all that stuff. The, 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 things are crazy, and they're going exponentially quick. And if you read Matthew 24, Jesus said, these, these are the signs of the end times. They go, when will this happen? He, go, he lists about 14 things. The very first one is, don't be deceived. People are going to try to deceive you. But the last one is, the love of many will grow cold. Have you noticed that out there? that the love of many has grown cold. Every single one in between has come to pass. So Jesus said, these are the signs of the end times. So that's what Jesus said. So I'm thinking we're near the end times. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that, well, we're one day closer than we were yesterday, you know. (laughs) But I'm saying that we're getting really close. When you're out in the middle of a lake, have you ever kayaked or rowboat or a little motor going across uh, the, the big lake? And as soon as you leave the shore, you're out in the middle of the lake, and you don't really see yourself moving that much. But you could be rowing or the engine going ee, like this, going across. And then all of a sudden, the other shore gets closer and closer, and then it gets really close, and then you step out of the boat. But in the, while we're in the middle out here. It doesn't seem like time is going by. It doesn't seem like we're advancing, but we are. We are. And so that's what we want to keep in, in mind. And so... Uh, just a little bit of history. Uh, in Genesis, God created the world, created Adam and Eve. Uh, they sinned right away. It wasn't so hot. They got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They had some kids. There was a there was a little uh, fight between Cain and Abel, and uh, Cain killed Abel. And then pretty soon, uh, Adam and Eve. Adam lived 930 years old, uh, and then a whole bunch of pa- uh, the patriarchs lived to be in their 900s or so, and. And uh, lo and behold, uh, about 2,000 years later, uh, the world is kind of full of evil people. And God says, I'm going to destroy the world. So he raises up uh, Noah, a man who is faithful to God. And Noah and his three sons and their wives, their families went in the ark. They came out. And uh, since that time, people's lives started shortening because the Bible said it never rained before, before before the flood. And so the world was covered with a mist. It probably knocked out all the UV rays. I don't know. Uh, but something changed in after the flood. And the, God said, I'm going to shorten man's life to 120 years. And uh, so Abraham lives with his and they start multiplying. They fulfill God's promise to multiply, replenish the earth. And a world power rises up. And it's, it's uh, Egypt at that time. And uh, a man just out of nowhere, God picks Abram and he says, Abram, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to change your name to Abraham. And, 
And through you, all the children of the earth are going to be blessed. And Abraham had a son, Isaac, the son of promise. Isaac had uh, two sons, Jacob and Esau. Uh, uh, Jacob was the son of promise. Esau was the older of the twins. And um, so Jacob had 12 sons. And uh, those became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Joseph was uh, unjustly sent to uh, Egypt, where he was there, and he rises to a position of authority and becomes the prime minister of Egypt and eventually brings his family over, saving, preserving the sea that God has promised. They lived there for 400 years. And by then there arose a pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And so he started persecuting, they started persecuting uh, the Israelites and killing uh, the male babies. And uh, they said, send and deliver. God raises up Moses out, out of those children of Israel. And he is raised in the palace. Uh, as, as a child of Pharaoh, and when he was 40, he killed a guy, and so he went out to the uh, desert to um, uh, flee that, and he was out there for 40 years, and he became a shepherd, and then God met him one day, and there was a burning bush, and God said, I want you to take my people out of Israel, and so there was a bunch of plagues and so forth, and eventually Pharaoh said, okay, you guys can go, so the children of Israel went out of Israel into toward the promised land through the Red Sea, but they sinned and they wandered for 40 years. God didn't call them to wander for 40 years. He called them to go into the promised land. Eventually they did with Joshua. They divided up the land. Uh, they served God for a while. Then they would forget. Then they would serve God again. Then they would forget. And then the Midianites or the Philistines or somebody would come in and harass them. And then, and then God would send deliverers and they did. And finally they said, we want a king. We don't want to be like uh, the, uh, uh, we don't want to be different from the other nations. And God said, I'm your king. They said, no, we want a king. So then he had Saul and Saul uh, was king for a while. He started out good and then lost his way. And then David came in and uh, David was the man after God's home heart. And the Bible prophesied that out of the lineage of David would the Messiah come. And so there was uh, David. And then after his sons and grandsons and the kingdom split into Israel and Judah, 10 tribes and two tribes. And almost every single king was evil. A couple of the Judah kings were okay. And then they were taken into exile into Babylon for 70 years. Then they returned. And then um, when they returned, they, the temple was destroyed. And so Ezra rebuilt the temple and Nehemiah then rebuilt the wall. And that's the end of the Old Testament. There's a test. All right. There's going to be a test after this. So. After Ezra and Nehemiah in your Bible, you'll see the, the books of poetry and all the prophecies and stuff. But read the chronological Bible at least once and you'll see all those prophets in, in, inserted into the storyline where they were. But the last piece of the storyline was that the wall was rebuilt. The second to the last one was Ezra comes back and they rebuild the temple, Solomon's great temple. So that was just a little background for this. So number one. God doesn't forget his promises. He doesn't forget his promises. We might, but he does not. So God promised the children of Israel that after 70 years, they would come back and God would restore them to their land. And God even used a pagan king, King Cyrus, to do it. He not only did it, but he financed it. And sometimes we think, oh, the world is so crazy. God can even use the ungodly to... Uh, accomplish his purposes in this land. Proverbs 21, verse 1 says, The king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he wants. God can change the heart of a king. Ezra, 
So this is getting to Ezra. This is uh, the second to the last of the storylines in, in the Old Testament. In chapter 3, it says, When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple. Now they're back in Israel. Now they're doing the foundation. So the temple is the temple uh, footprint was not much bigger than this building. It's about the same size as this building, the actual temple. But the temple grounds was like much a bigger area. So they, they, they built a foundation out there. And anybody who's ever built knows that the foundation, by the time the planning, the architecture, the, the permits, all that stuff, and you have a foundation, you don't really see anything, but you're half done already, or maybe two-thirds done, because then the building goes up easy after that. So it says... Uh, the foundation of the Lord's temple was completed. The priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. And the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as David had, King David had prescribed with praise and thanks. They sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord. Because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. Woohoo! We got a slab. You know, we got a slab here. So the promise was answered. They waited 70 years to be uh, restored and returned uh, to Israel, and they were back from exile. Just a little side note what has God promised you? How long have you waited? Abraham waited 25 years for the son to come, promised to come. Uh, Joseph waited from 17 to 30. He waited 13 years for his father and brothers to bow to him. But the promise came, and Jesus came as was promised. So just a reminder, in case you have it in your notes, in 2017, when I preached here, I said, what God has in store for your future is never in your past. What God has in store for you is not behind you, it's before you. So I'm going to show a picture up here. Uh, This is my kingdom effectiveness chart. I'll talk you through that. Doesn't that look very scientific? Okay. So we've all seen charts like this, like inflation, 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 like this, or population, population, like this, or COVID, 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 like this. We've all seen these charts before, right? So this is how effective do you want to be in the kingdom? So you start over here. This This is my premise. You start walking a walk of integrity. Integrity is who you are, when no one else is around. It's the you that you get upset with and yell at, sometimes cuss at, because you're so disgusted with, oh my goodness, why do I keep doing these same things again? And then when other people try to say that, you go, uh-uh, I'm already down on myself enough, you be quiet, right? And so we have this walk of integrity, and, and the Bible says that David walked with integrity of heart, skillful hands, and integrity of heart. So David had this long walk, and it's invisible generally. People don't see. So this applies to you as a person. It also applies to the church. It applies to this church. It applies on many levels. So this is the kingdom effectiveness chart. And and I say, as much as you want to count for Jesus, it's going to cost you. 
Are you willing to pay the price? So you have this long walk of integrity, and then you get some credibility. You kind of get a reputation. You, 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 um, you know, people begin to know you and trust you and, and, and will listen to you and so forth. You have this integrity, and then God gives you visibility. Is this every single time with every single person? No, my chart kind of looks like this, like this. So we do have these things, but we want to be pointed toward Jesus. I want to turn my back on my old life and I want to point my life toward Jesus. And if you want visibility in the kingdom for visibility's sake, that's the wrong thing. But God chooses to give visibility to people who he can trust and who have uh, walked it out and worked it out and so forth. So the faithfulness walk is the bottom. That's that's the horizontal line is faith as, as you remain faithful. God does this in your life. And the impact that you want for the kingdom all right? That's the upward movement. So it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes we think, oh, Paul the Apostle, he, he, uh, he was a really bad dude, and then he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and, and he was blind for three days. And then, but you know what? He, he did preach a little bit, and he made people mad, and then they said, oh, Paul, we need to take you. He went for 13 years to get disciples. And he had like three or four or five doctorate degrees in today's equivalent. But they said, now you you got to kind of like mesh this stuff together. Let's let's slow it down. Let's slow it down if you want to be effective. And Paul wrote over half the New Testament. He was very effective. So number two, what we do, we do for the Lord. Don't forget whose servant you are. When you said yes to Jesus, you gave him your life. You gave him your time. You gave him your stuff. You gave him your money. You gave him your gifts. You gave him your talents and abilities. Everything about you is now for his purposes. If you came to Jesus and said, just come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Just lay him at the cross and everything will be fine. How'd that work out for you? Sometimes you have more problems after you give your life to Jesus. All your old friends go, no, no, you changed like that. So anyway, so we are his servants. We're his servants. Paul says we are a bond slave. Nobody likes that word slave, but we are his bond slave. That means we are slaves or servants to almighty God. So, going back a little bit in, uh, in uh, Ezra, let's, let's read some more here. Chapter 5. At that time, the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, so, Zechariah, so they prophesied. There's a little bit of their prophecies in this story as well. But Ezra is the narrative. Um, they prophesied in the name of God of Israel, who was over them. Zerubbabel, the son of Shelti, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, responded by starting again to rebuild the temple. What? I thought they rejoiced because the the slab was finished. And it says they started again to rebuild the temple. So um, 18 years later, after the foundation was done, they started again to rebuild the temple. I'll tell you what, when God starts something, whether it's in your life or in a church or whatever, the devil's not going to like it. It's going to get opposed. That's for sure. 
But can you imagine a foundation that's been sitting there for 18 years? It's not going to look pristine like it was. There's going to be maybe a few little cracks with weeds coming up in, but, you know, it's basically there. So the people of God uh, were content with this foundation being done instead of the house of God being finished. I'll tell you what, nobody really cares if you lay a foundation. (laughs) Nobody cares if you say, I'm a Christian now. But if you start building on that, and you start making an impact, and you're visible, and people see that, you'll get opposed. So, here's what happened in Ezra chapter 5, starting to verse 7. This is the people that were in Israel that didn't go away to exile, and they didn't like the Israelites coming back and kind of taking over. They had 70 years. They go, no, this is our place. And they weren't really believers in God like the Israelites were. So they wrote a letter to King, now it's King Darius. They wrote a letter to King Darius. And they, I'm going to put my own take on it, all right? Because they're tattletailing, all right? To King Darius, greetings. The king should know that we went to the construction site of the temple of the great God in the province of Judah. It is being rebuilt with specially prepared stones and the timber is being laid in its walls. The work is going forward with great energy and success. We asked their leaders, who gave you permission to rebuild this temple and restore this structure? And we demanded their names so that we could tell you who the leaders were. I don't think they said it this way, but that's how I hear it. To tell you who the leaders were. This was their answer. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. And we are rebuilding the temple that was here many years ago, built here by a great king of Israel. Tell you what, that's the right answer. I don't have to answer you. I am a servant of the most high God. Who are you serving? When the devil comes to oppose you, and you know the devil when he whispers in your ear, he doesn't come in a voice like that. He comes in your voice. That whisper in your ear is only one of three people. It's either the Spirit of God, it's you, or it's the devil, or one of his minions. All right? So if, if you're at the grocery store and you hear this thing, thought in your head, go ask that lady if she's okay and if you can pray for her. Well, the devil's not going to tell you to do that, so you can rule him out, all right? And more than likely, you wouldn't tell you that. So you go, that's God. And so learn how to listen to his voice and obey immediately, all right? So who are you serving? Whose dream is being accomplished? Your dream for your life or his dream for your life? Number three, our priorities may not be his priorities. You could ask this question, are we spending our time and energy and resources on things that God has not called us to do? Are we spending our time, energy, resources on things that God hasn't called us to do? Remember, it's his time, it's his resources, it's his energy through you. There's too many good things out there. Most believers aren't doing bad things. I mean, we mess up sometimes in sin, but we don't set out to do bad things and do evil things. 
we're doing good things. There's nothing wrong with taking my kid to oboe lessons every week. But I'm going to tell you, I'm trying not to offend anybody. So, unless anybody, t- does anybody take oboe lessons? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but the coach will be mad at us if we don't go to our oboe lessons. <laughs> Could you, you can't say no to the coach. <laughs> All right, enough said. So, back to the original call. This isn't the prophet Haggai. Uh, Chapter 1, starting verse 1, on the 29th of August, the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message to the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of God. That means they had the foundation there. It was down there, and it's not time yet to rebuild the house of God. I'm doing other stuff. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Translation for us in 2022. Why are you building your dream when my dream for you is lying in ruins? Whoa, that's a big one. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. Look what's happening to you. And now go up into the hills and bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I'll take pleasure in it to be honored, says the Lord. You hope for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought the harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. Are they getting the spanking? Yes. It's because of you. That's why they didn't like the prophets, by the way, because they're just, they're going, I'm just the messenger. (laughs) This is what God said to say to you. (laughs) All right, off with your head or something like this. Uh It's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills. I have called for a drought on the progression of your dream. Because it's not my dream. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and the livestock, and to ruin everything that you've worked so hard to get. You ever ask yourself, God, why am I not moving forward? I'm not saying this is it, but you can certainly ask the Lord. I saved you. I bought you. I redeemed you. You are mine. I purposed uh, uh, to, to bless you. And yes, you're my bond slave, but also you're my son and my child at the same time. And I want to take you through... Not to wander in the wilderness, but to take you through to the promised land. Because my dream for you is much greater than your dream is for you. Number four, we won't get it done on our own. If you're trying to do this in your own strength, you won't. It requires the Holy Spirit. It's not just a formula. 
we get, we go, just tell me what to do, all right? I'll do these three things. Here's five tips for this and seven reasons for this and this kind of thing. No, God wants your heart. He wants you to position yourself away from your dream toward him. And not just reluctantly, but enthusiastically, by the way. Obedience is required. Doing what God has called us to do requires radical obedience and dependence on the Holy Spirit. You want to do what God's called you to do, learn how to listen to his voice, and then do what he says. We don't have to figure out the whole world. You know, you just figure out your next step. Have you ever played chess? We're not the king. We're not the queen. We're one of those pawns on the front row. And God says, you go two steps forward. Stop. Okay, go one step forward. Stop. You know, that's it. And we obey instantly. So Haggai again, as in verse 13, then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, the governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Joshua, the son of... I can just see Jody. I heard from God, and we're going to do this. And everybody goes, what? He's so enthusiastic. Okay, God, what do you say? And God says, yes. And there's agreement. And everybody goes, yes, and sparks the enthusiasm of the high priest and all the remnant of God's people. They began rebuilding the house of God, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies. But they couldn't do it on their own. It requires the spirit of Almighty God because Zechariah, at the same time, he's, he's prophesying. Remember Zerubbabel? He's in here. Say that 10 times fast. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Wow. I love, I love that story. Here's a question for you, for me. Am I going to finish what God began in me? Is RLA going to finish what God started in you? If you do, you're going to need God's strength and his enthusiasm. Serving the Lord shouldn't be dull and dreary. It can be adventurous, exciting, and scary, but it's never going to be dull. So how do we do this? We do it in the presence of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by spirits, says the Lord. Uh, my friend Dudley Daniel says this in his book, um, Building on Apostolic Foundations. He's, his, his premise here is that what we need most in the church is the presence of God in our midst. Moses said, God, if you don't go before us, we will not go. We want to be in your presence. If your cloud's here, we want to be under it. If the pillar of fire is here, we're going to move over it and get under it. If you're, if you're, you know, we, we get settled. Oh, this is good. And yeah, we're in the desert, but there's a cloud and it's nice. And, and like this, and then the cloud begins to move. And you go, Martha, start packing up the kids again. Get them cows and chickens going. And we got to move again. Sometimes they stayed for a year in one place. Sometimes they stayed one day. Could you imagine that? The kids have their oboe lessons. 
<laughs> this kingdom of God thing is getting very... Um, <laughs> distrust my schedule so uh, okay so here's what Dudley says about restoring what's needed most what is possibly most needed is the presence of God in the midst of his people even if everything else that was lost or stolen were already restored we would still only be heading for another marsh if we did not have the presence of God. Without the presence of God, we have no power, no authority, no transformation, and no glory to display to the nations. Without the presence of God in our midst, we're going to come here and either hear a good or bad worship set, hear either a good or a bad sermon, and go home the same. With the presence of God here, he takes those things and moves us and grows us and conforms us into his image. So I can guarantee you that most believers don't set out to abandon God's call on their life. They don't do it on purpose. But it just said, you need to get back to what I called you to do, rebuild the house of God. People go, we'll get back to it maybe next week, maybe maybe next month. Oh, certainly by next year, we're going to get back in this thing. But first, you know, we got crops to harvest. We got our uh, uh, oboe recital to finish. Uh, I got to put a new roof on the house, the kids, the job, you know, vacations, birthdays. Blah, blah, blah. I'll get caught on things, and then I'll come back to it. I don't know how many 40, 50-somethings I've talked to, particularly guys who said, I, I love God passionately when I was younger. And I just... Did my own thing. And I wake up 20 years later and I'm still in the same spot. Israel wandered in the desert 40 years. God did not call them to do that. They sinned. They didn't believe that God had a better place for them. They didn't believe that God was in control and could help them by his power defeat the giants. So I want to say this, when we refuse to pay attention to God, he has a way of getting our attention. He does. He'll get our attention somehow. I'm doing uh, the funeral tomorrow in Denver of my niece. Struggled for several decades with alcoholism and loved Jesus passionately. A lot of things we do, we don't, we don't do it on purpose. We're weak human beings. We can't do it in our own strength. We need him. But I have, I have seen people drift away because they allowed other things, like the kids and the job transfer and the demands and the stress and the struggles of life that are there get in the way. I encourage you to Spend some time with God on these. Have you become weary in well-doing? Jesus said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. I'll, I'll give you rest, he said. He didn't say you can quit. He said, I'll give you rest. A lot of times we go, oh, I need rest, like this. And he's going, no, actually, you need to take my yoke upon me, because then 
if you're a mouse and, 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 and I'm an ox and, you know, I'm going to take most of the weight, <laughs> but we're still yoked together. <laughs> and he said, learn of me, learn my ways. You'll find rest for your soul, not rest for your spirit. Most of us love God. You know, time with God, word, prayer, so we, we kind of take care. If you're not, you need to be taking care of your spirit and growing in that area. We, most of us know the right things to do with our body. We do the best we can with what we have, and we're, we're trying that. But the, where, the place where we get weary is in our souls. That's, that's the middle ground there. We get weary, just weary. And Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Rest is not quitting. It's not stopping. If you're in a ministry and you need to rest, you need to get in that slipstream of God's grace. It's like when you're when up in Placerville with the river there, you get in the river, uh, South Fork of the American River, and you get in a raft. And if you get in the middle, the current is just taking you. You don't want to hang out by the side where the sticks and the rocks are. Get out. That's the presence of God, and he'll just move you right along. Every once in a while, you just, just do a little paddle to adjust your steering. You don't need the paddle. That's what it means to get into the presence of God and let him carry you through there. Okay, here's the big question here. Do we find ourselves not living in the promises of God, but being content living ineffective, unfruitful, mediocre lives, just waiting until Jesus comes back? Have we chosen not to complete God's call on our lives, but to live life on a slab? We show that picture uh, once again, the credit kingdom effectiveness chart. Here's my thoughts about RLA. You've been living a life of integrity. Well done. I personally think that you're somewhere about, and you, you, I'm submitting this to the elders. They're the ones that lead the church here, but I'm submitting that you're somewhere, somewhere right around the why and credibility. Just ready to make a turn. But God has called you not to be visible without having that walk. And you guys, God has not called you to his dream without having a walk of integrity and faithfulness. Not giving up, not building on your own dream, but continuing to build on his dream. So, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2, you've heard me teach Things that have been confirmed by many reliable or faithful witnesses. Now teach these truths to other faithful or trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. There's people coming behind you that need you not to give up. If none of us is at the front and none of us are, and if none of us is at the back and none of us are, but we're all grabbing the hand of somebody who's gone on before us. This is all metaphorical, all right? We grab the hand of somebody who's been faithful and we want to follow. Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And then we grab somebody's hand who's a little bit behind us and say, come follow me as I follow Christ. Together, we're moving. 
toward Jesus. When one person lets go, you don't know the impact you have for those that are depending on you. Jesus will find another way, but God has called you to be partners with them in the kingdom. Paul said, I finished the race. I finished the race. You know how you win your race? You finish it. Because there's only one person in your race. You're not racing. We're not racing against each other. We're racing against ourselves. We win our race by finishing what God called us to do. Amen? I'm going to ask you, will you complete what God has started in you? Will you? I wonder if we can stand together. Father, thank you for this word. I pray that it would, the heart of it would impact us and not be something that would turn us off but draw us toward you. Lord, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Seal. If, if any of you got like a picture, I got to stop doing this or I got to start doing this or I need to adjust my attitude here, just let God do that in you right now. Presence of God, just come in an amazing way. An amazing way. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask, I'm going to be bold here and ask for a show of hands. How many, raise your hand if you want God to complete in you what he started. My hand is raised. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And if anybody's here today or anybody here is online today, that doesn't know Jesus, please say yes to him. Please say yes right now. If you're at home, get on a text and, and, and say, I just said yes to Jesus for the first time. I really meant it. If you're here this morning, come up to the front afterwards and say, I said yes to Jesus. I gave my heart to Jesus. I don't know all the answers, but I want to follow the one who died for me and then rose again three days later so I could be forgiven of my sin and be his follower. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. standing word um, fits so well um, kind of pairing it up with what Brett preached last week as well and we do all these New Year's resolutions and renewing our covenant with the Lord remember that he's already laid foundations and we're just so comfortable with those foundations and Nobody raves about the foundations. <laughs> like, wow, look how beautiful these foundations are, you know? Yeah, I think about this old building. You know, the foundations were laid in 45. The building was erected in 46. No one knows what's underneath <laughs> this, these, this plaster and these, these, you know, true two-by-fours back then. Um, same with our lives, you know? Uh, people need to see... Foundations are so important, but people need to see what the Lord has done. You know, come and see what the Lord has done is one of the greatest witnessing tools that we have. And they have to be able to see something. And uh, I pray that in this season, as the Lord is building you up, as he is building us, his church, that people are going to be astonished by what he has built and see visibly what he has done. Will you allow him to continue that?
Don't be content with foundations. Don't be content. Hold on to the promises. Uh, Timothy also reminds us that we, we fight with the prophetic words that have been spoken over us. And uh, Steve and Terry have spoken prophetically over us as a church. Um, and I believe the Lord has spoken prophetically over you individually. We have to fight with those prophetic words. Those are promises that we hold on to. Thank you so much, Steve. What a what a timely word for us. Lord, we, we receive all that you're saying to us this morning. Not just corporately as Restoration LA, as individuals. We are the church and you are building us up. And Lord, I pray that it's in this season, this season that can seem so dark and so gray and so dreary. It's this season that you shine the brightest in our lives, God that you shine the brightest in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our community, in this nation, and in the nations that you call us to, God. That you shine brighter and brighter and that you will continue to use us, just just unlearn ordinary men and women, God, who, who radically say yes to you, who radically hold on to the promises that you have spoken. Yes, Lord. We receive this word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus praise. Thank you so much. Steve and Terry, we love you so much. So good. Um, hey, we uh, we look forward to seeing you guys uh, uh, during the week. Don't forget, fellas, we do have a softball game. If you uh, need further details about the rec area, Ken Furlow will uh, will give us good direction for that. Uh, continue to pray for those who, who are, are sick and reach out to them. If you know someone's sick, um, here's a tool, friends. When you ask people, hey, um, is there anything, if there's anything you need, let me know. Most people don't want to burden people. Show up with food, show up with some love. Um, honestly, it will be a blessing. So just tell them you're, you're bringing the pozole and they're going to be happy. Um, so reach out to those who are sick and, 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 um, yeah, bless them as they, you know, some of them just can't, can't get out. You know, they're just trying to be responsible and all that stuff. So, um, have a great week. We love you. We'll be praying for you. Don't forget our home groups that are meeting. If you have brought a physical offering, our, our usher team is back there and, uh, we will see you guys in, in the next week. Love you guys. Talk to you soon. Thank you.